0: Thanks for tuning in. Dana was born in December 1957. Her mother, a former beauty queen, loved to shop and rang up the credit card bills. When Dana was two, her father had enough of her mother's spending and the couple divorced. Dana lived with her mother. Then, when she was 14, her mother got cancer. Dana watched how the nurses cared for her, and it would later inspire her to become a nurse. After her mother's death, Dana went to live with her father, Russell. In her teens, she was petite, with pretty dark eyes, framed with bangs and sun-kissed blonde hair. In high school, she was athletic, a bit of a daredevil, and always up for an adventure. She took up skydiving and in her yearbook she wrote that her favorite place to be was in free fall. She fell in love with a skydiving instructor and moved in with him after graduation. He helped her achieve her dream of going to nursing school and after five years she graduated and became a registered labor and delivery nurse. In 1984 she met Yamashida who worked at the hospital. When Yamashita's daughter was born, Dana was in the delivery room with her. Dana and her longtime boyfriend parted ways and she met William Gray. The couple became engaged and Yamashita was thrilled when Dana asked her to be a bridesmaid. Dana and William married in October 1987 at a winery and Dana arranged for skydivers to descend from the skies. A year later, Dana's father married Jerry Davis. Her first husband had passed away, and she was still close with his mother Norma Davis. Norma was 86 and lived alone. Dana moved in with Norma for a short time. Russell and Jerry lived near Norma in Canyon Lake Estates, a little over an hour's drive from Los Angeles, and Jerry felt it her duty to continue watching out for her the residents in the mobile home park felt safe. It was a gated and guarded community that was accessible only to residents and visitors with a gate code. The New York Daily News reported that by 1990, Dana had a well-paying job at a medical center and William was making good money as a machine operator. They purchased a home in Canyon Lake, but soon Jaina was repeating her mother's spending habits. They'd bought three cars, including a Cadillac, two boats, and even an ultralight airplane. The young couple were in a mountain of debt, and it put a strain on their marriage. The financial pressures drove the couple to separate in May 1993. They filed for bankruptcy and later divorced. Dana got a job working at a medical clinic, but was fired after just three months for stealing painkillers. By 1994, she had moved in with a man named Jim and his young son. Dana had gone from living in luxury to living in a trailer. She was 37, and the wrinkles were starting to set in. Dana had always used shopping to calm her nerves, and to take away the stress of everyday life. The problem was now she had no job, no income, and no money. So she devised a plan to satisfy her shopping addiction. On Valentine's Day in 1994, Dana drove her Cadillac, the short four miles from her home, to Canyon Lake, where her father and stepmother Jerry lived. She let herself into the mobile home park with her gate code. She drove to Jerry's former mother-in-law's home and knocked on the door. Norma kept her door locked and didn't open it to strangers, but she recognized Dana. Once inside, Dana made her way to the kitchen and armed herself with two sharp knives. She brutally attacked Norma, stabbing her 11 times. And to ensure she was gone, she also strangled her. On her way out, she walked past an uncashed social security check and instead chose to steal Norma's credit cards. Then she went shopping. Two days later, Norma's neighbor Alice discovered her lifeless body and called police. When they entered Norma's home, police did not see any signs of forced entry and discovered a small footprint from a running shoe, but no other evidence. Two weeks later, it was June Robert's 67th birthday. She lived alone a few doors down from Dana's father and stepmother. Again, Dana drove to the mobile home park and let herself in She knocked on her front door and asked to borrow a book. June knew her parents and recognized Dana. She turned and walked to the den to grab the book. Dana unplugged her phone and followed her. Dana picked up a wine bottle and hit her repeatedly on the head until the bottle broke. With blood running down her face, June fought to stay alive. Dana wrapped the phone cord around her neck three times and pulled it tight. Real tight. June fell to the floor next to a desk. Each chair toppled over on June. Dana walked out, grabbed two of her credit cards, and went shopping. Before, credit cards had electronic chips, cardholders signed their name on a sales receipt. Dana signed June's name on the credit card receipts and bought cowboy boots, clothing, and household items. Meanwhile, friends called to wish June a happy birthday, but there was no answer. Neighbors in Canyon Lake were afraid. Two murders in two weeks in their sleepy little town of eight thousand had them on edge. The Californian reported that neighbors bought new locks and installed security lights and alarms. They armed themselves with guns for protection and visitors were banned. Their security and their serenity had been taken. As one resident stated, "We can't go out and look at the stars. Ten days later, on March 10th, Dorinda Hawkins was working in her antique store called the Lake Elsinore Trading Post. The North County Times reported that Dorinda was alone when Dana entered the shop and asked to see some picture frames propped up against the wall. Dorinda turned and bent down to pick them up when she suddenly felt something around her neck. A rope had been slung around her and she could see the Slipknot being pushed towards her throat. She turned towards her attacker to see if she recognized her. She looked into Dana's eyes. They were cold and blank. She asked, Why do you want to kill me? I have eight kids. Dana reassured her by saying, I'm not here for your money. That's when Dorinda knew she was there to kill her. Dana pulled the rope tighter. Dorinda thought about her children and grandchildren. Then Dorinda heard her whisper in a very calm voice, Relax, just relax. Then she fell to the floor unconscious. Dana reached down and grabbed the keys off her wrist and used one of them to open the cash register and stole $25. When police arrived, Dorinda's detailed description of her attacker was given to a sketch artist whose rendering looked very much like Dana. And she told them about her soothing voice and that it was the type of voice you hear a doctor or a nurse use. Dorinda had no idea that she had absolutely nailed it. Meanwhile, June's bank noticed a flurry of activity on her credit cards and called both her daughter and police to tell them that they had been used at nearly a dozen businesses around town. Police spoke to the store clerks, who described a petite, well-dressed blonde woman driving a Cadillac Their description led police to seek a search warrant for Dana's home for forgery and possession of stolen property. It was issued on March 16th. But before police could execute the search warrant, tragedy struck. A half hour away in Sun City, it was noon and Dora Baby had just returned home from an appointment. Within minutes, she heard a knock on the door. She opened it to see Dana, who was asking for directions. Once inside, Dana pounced. She struck Dora in the face with an iron, then strangled her with a phone cord. And to ensure her victim was dead, she placed her hands around her throat and manually strangled her. Then Dana walked out, drove to Dora's bank, and withdrew $2,000. At 1 p.m., police began surveillance on Dana's home. She arrived at 3 p.m., but didn't stay long and left with detectives secretly following her. At 4.15 p.m., a friend of Dora stopped by and parked in front of her white duplex, he found her on the floor near the bathroom her face covered in blood He thought his friend was unconscious and called paramedics They arrived to find Dora deceased Sheriffs department investigators arrived and strung up yellow crime scene tape across the front yard Forensic technicians searched for clues In a sink they found an iron covered in blood. The Sheriff's Department captain arrived at the duplex and reassured neighbors that five investigators were assigned to the case and that if needed, more would be brought in. At 6 p.m., police descended on Dana's home. Detectives questioned her boyfriend Jim and released him. At this point, Police were investigating Dana for credit card fraud. In her home, they found June's stolen credit cards and items she had purchased with them. They also recovered the keys snatched from Dorinda's wrist and confirmed it when one of the keys opened the cash register at her shop. To try and conceal her identity, Dana cut her hair and added a touch of red. But despite trying to change her appearance, Dorinda positively identified Dana in a photo lineup. Police arrested Dana the following day. They recovered $1,900 in cash from her purse. During questioning, she told detectives that shopping put her at rest. She was transferred to the Riverside County Jail and charged with the murder of Dora and robbering and attempted murder of Dorinda. At Dana's arraignment a few days later, a visitor arrived, her half-brother Rick. He said that their family was dysfunctional and that while Dana's arrest was a shock, he didn't doubt her guilt. Two months after their mother's murder, Dora's family released a public statement. In a tribute, her daughter Jillian stated, I was always glad to bring my friends home when I was a child because I was so proud of my mother. She was pretty and funny and warm and a better cook than anyone else's mother. Nobody made better pie and her quilts were lovely. After the murders, Dana's spending sprees totaled $5,000 in cash and merchandise, worth about $10,000 today. It makes us wonder how a nurse who used her hands to bring babies into the world could use those same hands to end three women's lives. At Dana's hearing in July, the prosecution laid out a trail of stolen credit cards that pointed to murder. Numerous store owners, along with bank employees, identified Dana as the one using the victim's credit cards to purchase a massage, expensive perfume, clothes, alcohol, and groceries. The families of Norma, June, and Dora were in the courtroom and listened as the crime scenes were described in graphic detail. Dana's public defender said his client admitted to using bad judgment in regards to the stolen property, but that she had not murdered the three women, nor had attempted to murder Dorinda. Dana pled not guilty by reason of insanity. She was potentially facing the death penalty. Then, in September 1998, Four and a half years after the murders, and just before her trial was to start, she changed her plea to guilty. She admitted to killing June and Dora and the attack on Dorinda. In exchange for her guilty plea, she was not charged with Norma's murder. Dana was sentenced to life in prison without parole and resides at the women's prison in Chochilla, California. Dora's daughter Julie said that when she and her sister went through their mother's home after her murder, they found little pieces of paper with quotes on them, and they liked this one in particular. They say don't look back when you get old, but I spent a lot of time doing it anyway. Maybe if I'd known that when I was young, I'd done a lot of exciting things, so I'd have better old lady daydreams. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Glennon Engleman. For him, it wasn't just about the money. For the dentist by day, murder by night was about power. For 21 years, he conspired with women to marry for profit, insure their husbands, and then he murdered them. If you are dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murder 20com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or Murderer20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects and fastening studios and quick sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.